Hello and welcome to the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 59. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for being here. Messi signs with PSG. He got introduced today. He will wear the number 30. Luka Doncic re-signs with the Mavs. Five years, $207 million. Josh Allen re-signs with the Bills. Six years, $258 million for Josh Allen. And Djokovic doesn't get a medal in the Olympics. Crazy, unprecedented result. And also, Sevrev wins gold in the Olympics. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. First and foremost, I just want to apologize for, you know, over a week without any uh, any episode, any uh, any news, any coverage. I was moving. There's a lot of stuff going on, but now I'm back. Uh, I'm getting ready to get some more episodes on the way. But let's get started. <clears throat> Messi signs with PSG. He will wear the number 30. PSG is loaded. They are the favorites for the Champions League. But first and foremost, I'm still wrapping my head around Messi leaving Barcelona. Just crazy, crazy news. Um, For a second, for a lot of time, actually, it looked like he was never going to leave Barcelona. It looked like he was going to play out his whole career. He was going to be a one-club player, kind of like, you know, Francesco Totti did with Roma. But... Money talks and Barcelona is in a world of trouble right now with their financial um, crisis. It looks like they don't have money right now. So even though Messi in his press conferences, he stated that he, you know, he accepted a 50 percent wage reduction just to stay with Barcelona. But even that wasn't enough um, for Barcelona. They couldn't make it work in their books. And because of that, Messi did not resign with Barcelona, became a free agent and once that happened, there's only a few teams that could realistically sign Messi for his wages for, you know, that fit all the criteria of being an important team, being a team that could win Champions League, being a team that could afford his wages. So it basically came down to City and PSG, in my opinion. Those were the only teams that could realistically make a push to sign Messi. And Manchester City had already made a move for Jack Grealish, so it looked very unlikely. And... To no one's surprise, I'm pretty sure, or, or I'm pretty sure everyone kind of saw this coming. PSG, sure enough, signed Messi. Um, he joins um, Gigi Wijnaldum, Sergio Ramos, Donnarumma, a bunch of players that PSG signed on a free. All of them are now coming to PSG. PSG, who have had some success in the Champions League this last couple years, getting to the final, losing the final to Bayern. I believe last year they got to the semifinals, losing to Manchester City. So they've been on the cusp. They've been right there. And for Messi, this gives him another opportunity to get a Champions League, to add another Champions League to his resume. Because, frankly, Barcelona, La Liga as a whole, is starting to look a little weaker since Ronaldo left. Now Messi leaving. Real Madrid and Barcelona are definitely, like, I wouldn't say rebuilding, but they're definitely retooling. They're, they're like, in this gray area where... Um, they're still the two protagonists along with Atletico Madrid in La Liga, but they're not really uh, one of the title favorites for the Champions League. You don't you don't pick them to win Europe. So this is an upgrade, in my opinion, for Messi as far as a chance to win Champions League. Obviously, the league, <clears throat> even though La Liga is on its downside right now, it's still better than League One. So this is definitely a downgrade for Messi. But when it's all said and done, if Messi does win 
a Champions League with PSG after all the money that they spent, after all the signings that they've done to not be able to win Champions League. And if Messi comes and gets a Champions League with them, it won't matter that they have a stacked team because their team is stacked. Like, you just look top to bottom. You got Neymar. You got Di Maria. You got Mbappe. You got Icardi, Ramos, Donnarumma, Navas, Verratti, <clears throat> Gigi Wijnaldum, um, Marquinhos. There, there's so many good players on this squad. It's just it's ridiculous what what you could put next to Messi in the starting eleven. Um, PSG is definitely the title favorites. They add Messi, the best player in the world. They're Wherever you rank them, he, he's up there in age, but he's still very influential on the field. Is ridiculous. So I think Messi winning League One, winning all those little titles, the League Cup, that's not really going to do too much for his legacy. If he wins the Champions League with PSG, that's really going to add to his stature. Um, one of the knocks against Messi was that he was always with Barcelona and the, the system. He was coddled. That's, that's one of the arguments that people have against Messi for all-time great or whatever. Uh, how strong is that argument? I mean, not too strong, but it is one of the arguments. So now he gets to go to PSG and prove himself in another league, in another team, in another system. And I think he will do great. PSG is stacked, man. Like, it's ridiculous. I think as a neutral or as a supporter of a different team, everyone is now rooting against PSG. PSG becomes like, like i don't know they become like the lakers or you know any any of those powerhouses that get rooted against because they're they're just so good they sign all the good players they you know all the other teams envy them that's psg now they they're just loaded top to bottom the fact that you put up mbappe messi and neymar as your front three that's just insane that's an all-star team of the world that's like a world 11 almost in the psg squad you have sergio ramos you have messi the two captains of the El Clasicos in the last few years are now both playing for PSG. It's ridiculous. It's some crazy stuff that's going on. PSG is loaded. But in the same light that I would give Messi credit or all those naysayers that would give Messi credit, um, you know, saying that he, he won the Champions League with a different team, it could also be a downfall for Messi if he doesn't win the Champions League with PSG. This team is so stacked. This team is loaded. It has depth. Um, I think it would be, um, it wouldn't kill his career or his resume by any means. He just won Copa America with Argentina. His legacy is cemented. He's one of the all-time greats, if not the best ever. But I think it would look bad for a player of Messi's stature to go to PSG with that loaded of a team and not win a Champions League because they are so loaded. They were loaded before Messi. They were probably one of the favorites to win Champions League even before Messi. Donnarumma, Ramos... Wijnaldum, so many good players that they got for free and, you know, still loaded roster. So, and now you add Messi on top of that, who still has two, three, four good years remaining. Um, he's getting older, but he's still Messi. I'm just saying PSG better, better, you know, live up to their billing, live up to their um, wages, live up to the expectation they've been carrying since, you know, that money influx came into their program like what seven eight years ago they need to get a champions league this is their year i'm excited for messi i'm excited for league one messi is the type of player that could elevate league one as a whole that could take league one to maybe a top five in the world ranking top three they could start pushing you know uh the steady out or 
the Bundesliga for one of those three to four spots after La Liga and the Premier League. But what do you guys think? Is this a good move for Messi? Are you guys as shocked as I was? I really believed Messi was going to stay with PSG for his whole career. I did not see. Maybe he went back to play for some club in Argentina but or the MLS, as a lot of older people do. But I never really saw him going to another European club and still like with still a lot of years left in his career like he's not he's still messy he's not like a declining player or Barcelona's getting rid of him because you know they're trying to get somebody else to be the face of their program but just crazy crazy stuff let me know what you guys think is Messi gonna succeed with PSG uh is League One worthy of Messi um all of that let me know Luka Doncic resigns with the Mavs five years 207 million dollars just the most expensive, the most lucrative rookie extension in NBA history. He was eligible for the Supermax because he had made two first All-NBA teams in his first three years. Just crazy, crazy stuff by Luka Doncic. Winning Rookie of the Year, his rookie year, and then went becoming a first-team All-NBA his second year, and then repeating on that first-team All-NBA his third year. One of the best starts to a career ever. He's barely 22 years old, and he's accomplished so much. He has one of the best resumes ever for a 22-year-old. Um, and, you know, the sky's the limit for Luka Doncic. I love this man. He's my favorite player. Uh, he played for Real Madrid in Spain before coming to the NBA. He's been on my radar for a little bit. I love Luka Doncic. He thoroughly deserves this. And now, you know, the clock is ticking for the Mavs because it's a five-year extension, but the but the, the fifth year is a player option. So they do technically have him till the 2026-2027 season, but he could opt out after the 2025-2026 season. So if they're not getting if they're not making noise by 2023-2024, maybe even 2022-2023 season, there's going to be some rumblings of some rumblings about Luka Doncic wanting out about the people around him wanting him to go somewhere else. So that this is it's it looks beautiful, 5 years, 207 million on top of the year he had left on his rookie deal. So six more years of Luka Doncic. But realistically, since it's a player option, you got five more years. And realistically, once you get to those last two years, you start thinking like, okay, is he going to resign? Do we got to trade him? What's going on with this player? So realistically, if we if we analyze this as all the other great stars have played for other teams, he has the Mavs have three years. Three years where they could... You know, play it safe, relax, see how it goes out, or they could just push the envelope and show Luca that hey, you're gonna be here for life. Like we we care about you, we know how much your legacy means to you. You know, we know how good of a player you are, so we're gonna surround you, we're gonna nurture you, and you don't have to look anywhere else. So I'm I'm looking at three years. I'm, I'm, if you're a Mass fan, obviously you should be excited, you should be happy. There was a slim possibility that he left, go somewhere else. You know. Obviously, Laker fans were already, you know, doing the edits. Miami Heat fans were already doing the edit. Clipper fans, to a lesser degree, were doing the edits. The Warrior fans were doing the edits. There was a lot of teams, you know, craving for Luka Doncic to go to their team after their rookie deal. But but now he resigns with the Mavs. So if you're Mavs fans, you should be happy. You should be excited. But don't think you got him for five, six years. And it's all those five, six years. You got around three to four years to really do some noise, make some noise, get to a final, win a championship, or else, you know, 
it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities that he asked for a trade or he wants out. But I don't want to be the sour. I don't want to, you know, sour this moment. Luka Doncic, two first NBA teams already. Um, his individual accolades are great, but for his team, the Mavs have been eliminated in the first round the last two years to the Clippers. They need to get something out of Kristaps. They need to get better supporting cast. Tim Hardaway, he just got a, he just got an extension. I like that guy. He could shoot. He could score in bunches. He's probably not the guy you want as your number three if you're going to be competing for a championship. You probably want him as your four or your fifth. And right now, as presently constructed, he's the third best player for the Mavs. So they need to add more talent. Kristaps is probably better as a three. We've seen him digress from what he was with the Knicks when he first got to the NBA. So you move Hardaway to your fourth best player. You move Kristaps to your third best player, and you sign a real number two for Luka Doncic. And now you could, now you're thinking, all right, the Mavs could make some noise. The Ma- the Mavs could go deep into the playoffs because there's a lot of good teams. There's not too many championship contenders in the West, in my opinion. It's the Lakers. It's the Clippers with the healthy Kawhi. And we'll see what the Suns do. We'll see what the what the Nuggets do. So I would I would say the Lakers, a healthy Clippers, the Nuggets, and then the Suns, or you know one of these other teams. I don't really believe in the Jazz. I'm sorry, Jazz. Too many slow players. Um, I don't really believe in the Grizzlies right now. But there's a lot of good teams in the West. So for them to take that next step, to to just not even be real contenders, just be like a a perennial playoff team that can you know go into the second round. They need to get more talent. It can't just be on Luka Doncic. It'll be frustrating um, if he gets to that fourth, fifth year of losing in the first round or just going to the second round. You know that could take a toll on a player. That could really wind them. So for the Mavs' sakes, I hope I hope they get someone else to help out Luka. Um, but with that being said, Luka could be that once in a generational talent. He could be. Um, not the next LeBron and saying that he's a physical specimen or he's a physical, he's just going to impose um, his prowess on everyone. More in the sense that he could probably carry a team to the finals just because of how good he is. That's how good I think Luka is. He, we've seen him lead Slovakia to the, um, to the semifinals of the Olympics. And unfortunately, they weren't, a lab- um, they weren't able to get bronze. They lost to Australia. But we've seen what he could do with lesser talent. So it wouldn't be out of the possibilities that he just carries the Mavs into the finals. Like, that would be some crazy stuff. I kind of thought if he got over the Clippers this year, um, he was going to be able to at least take him into the Western Conference finals. I think the Clippers were just a really tough matchup, and it sucks. It sucks for the Mavs that they got them two years in a row. But we've seen what he did with Slovenia. Great, great stuff. I'm sure that if he takes another step, he should be able to take the Mavs into the deeper into the playoffs. Um, he's my MVP favorite for next year. He's just the the kid is amazing. He has an amazing future, and I'm excited. I'm excited for the Mavs. I'm excited to see what Jason Kidd is gonna build. Uh, this is gonna be his first year with the Mavs. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how Luka Doncic develops. But if you're a Mavs fan, I mean, don't don't listen too much about me. You know, saying these three, four years, um, just be happy. Once in a generational talent is 
part of your roster. He just resigned for a lot, a lot of money. And the 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 future's bright. You had Dirk. Now you have Luca. Hopefully Kristaps can get it together. Hopefully the Mavs, Mark Cuban can make a move to get someone to really help Luka Doncic. And the Mavs could take that next step. Because I really do believe that Mavs could be a, a dangerous team. Last year I had them I had Luka Doncic. I've rated Luka Doncic so highly that I thought the Mavs were gonna be the first or second um seeding in the in the West last season. They started off slow. They finished fifth, I believe. I think this year they start off strong. They could be one of the top seeds and not get a, a tough, tough matchup like the Clippers were last year. But, yeah, Luka Doncic, six years, $207 million. What do you guys think of this contract? Is Luka Doncic going to see it through? Or is or are the Mavs going to you know flop in their attempt to build a real contender around him? Josh Allen resigns with the Bills. Six years for $258 million. His huge 2020 pays off. After, you know, not having the best start to his career, he had a huge 2020. 4,544 yards, 37 touchdowns through the air, along with a lot of rushing yards, a lot of rushing touchdowns, a two-way threat. Josh Allen, you know, who always finishes runs, who puts his shoulder down, who does the risky play. It all came together last season, and... He had a great season. He was an MVP candidate. He led me to a fantasy title. He led a bunch of other people to fantasy titles. Um, he's he's a real deal, in my opinion. There were some people that were saying that it would be risky to give him a huge extension after just one good year because, you know, you never know if it could have just been a fluke, you know. And I, I see where people are coming from, but I think I've seen enough from Josh, Josh Allen and one of the main reasons he, he improved so much is because he was making better decisions and his deep ball accuracy significantly improved. If you if you watched any of the Josh Allen video um, games last year, you would see that, you know, whatever telecast was covering the game, they would always point to um, the improved technique that he had on his deep ball throw. They had like a machine that, you know, that could basically use um, a bunch of repetition. You see his throwing motion and see what he's doing wrong. And then they would analyze and say, tell him like how he's supposed to throw the ball. And it just you see the difference of how he was throwing the ball the first few years in the NFL and how he threw it last year. And it's just made a, all the difference. That deep ball accuracy was just 100 times better. And also the addition of Stephon Diggs helped a lot. So Josh Allen, I think he's going to continue to be one of these top five quarterbacks in the NFL. So I really like this contract. I like it for the Bills. I like it for Josh Allen. I like it for my fantasy team, but I'm probably not going to get in this year just because he's probably going to be a very, very early in the early rounds, and I like to wait on my quarterbacks. But his deal low-key looks better than um, than Mahomes. That's one of the things that's been talked about since, uh, since his deal came out. Allen gets more money up front. The, the contract is for a shorter time. Um... Allen has more outs where he could restructure his contract earlier than Mahomes. Mahomes Mahomes did the Chiefs a solid, 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 solid. Like, I don't know what he was thinking. He had probably the most leverage out of any quarterback going into a new contract of ever. Like, he had won an MVP. He had won a Super Bowl. He was young. You know, everyone likes him. He's charismatic. He's He has, like, highlight plays. He, he goes viral on Twitter with the throwing it lefty, throwing it with almost a knee down. Like, the stuff he does, like, 
no one else could do. And he ended up with a really good contract, half a billion dollars, $500 million. But he he had less guaranteed at the signing than Atlin, 63 to 100. <clears throat> and Atlin just gets a lot of the money up front and he has more outs. He could restructure his deal. And now that that gambling's money is going to come in, you know, the cap is going to be just bigger and bigger. So if Allen restructures early, he could just potentially get more and more money. But <clears throat> I'm just a fan. I'm a free agent fan. I'm just happy to see these guys get paid. <clears throat> I'm sure Mahomes is not really losing any sleep. And I, I'm sure he's doing fine. Half a million dollars. He, he has stake in the and the Kansas City uh, baseball team. I'm pretty sure he's doing other investment. The man is doing good for himself. I'm sure the Chiefs worked out with one of their sponsors too where you're like, okay, we'll, we'll throw you some money. On one of our sponsors would throw you more money so you know, so you even out. So you're good. So you're always um, you know, happy. You're always right. But yeah, a lot of people are talking about their contracts, comparing it to Mahomes. I'm just happy for both guys getting paid. And if Mahomes has a deal, you know, has a problem with this deal, I'm sure the Chiefs will restructure it. I'm sure they'll work with him. The Chiefs are not stupid either. They're not going to upset Mahomes. If Mahomes goes to them, he's like, hey, you know what? I need to be the highest paid player. I'm the best quarterback in the league. I'm sure the Chiefs would adjust. And I'm sure Mahomes is fine. So all this contract comparison, uh, I mean, I get it. It's what we do as, you know, sports fans, as you know, all these sports talk show, I get it. But f- as far as myself, you know, I'm happy for Allen. I'm happy for Mahomes. And I'm just excited to see them, you know, develop. Hopefully they keep building uh, a rivalry. The Chiefs beat the Bills pretty handily in the playoffs. The Bills made a late push, but nothing really scary. But I do see the Bills being a contender. Their division should get a little bit harder, too, with the Miami Dolphins coming up. We'll see what Tua does. We'll see how Zach Wilson does with the Jets. Um, but, yeah, like, I'm excited for Allen. Uh, it's great to see a quarterback developed. Um, it's always great to see them just be, like, amazing from, from the beginning. Like a Justin Herbert, just take the reins week one, thrown into a game that you didn't even know you are going to start and just be amazing. But it's also, like, really, really nice when you see a player developed in the NFL, when you see a player I couldn't throw a deep ball. You see a player that made a lot of dumb decisions. And when they finally get it together and you're like, okay, like that's that's dope. Like look 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 at his footage from year one to year three to year four. And you see a totally different player. You know, these coaches are really doing their job. It's just amazing. One of the things I really like used to like playing on Madden was like franchise mode and developing players. I always liked those those game modes, whether it was FIFA or 2K or Madden. I always liked um, doing playing the longer, the longer seasons, like not just one season, but like developing a team and drafting and developing the players. That was one of the most entertaining parts for me. Uh, not just the gameplay, not not just like a game, like any you know individual game. It was more of seeing like whatever team you picked developed over time. That I don't know. It just brought a lot of gratitude and satisfaction just seeing. You draft someone in the first round or second round and, you know, you do all the boosts, you do all the attribute raises, um, the offseason training. And you see the your player that you drafted go from like a 66 to a 76 to an 80 to being an all-star to being, you know, the best player in the league. All of that was really fun for me back in the day when I really played a lot. But in real life, I think it's, 
it's even better to see it like in real life or see it live see player just go from like oh my god like you could tell that the coaches are having trouble or like are being cautious with the plays that they call you see the bills oh man third and eight let's go for a run because we don't trust our quarterback or you know even second and 10 like we threw a little pass in the first down and now we're in you know second and long and let's just run two run plays or run a draw or something to to not put so much pressure on our quarterback and now you see the bills just open up the whole playbook give the reins to josh allen and he's in complete command of the offense and it's just it's it's amazing to see it's part of one of the joys of watching the game just seeing players develop from year year in year out and you get to see the players that really you know put in the grind and put the time in to watch tape to develop and i think josh allen is one of those players that you could just tell this man's been working he's been working on his game and it, it paid off in a big way so i'm happy for josh allen six years 258 million dollars i tip my hat to josh allen and you know i wish the bills the best this season uh we'll see how they do the afc is very competitive we'll see how the chiefs do the chargers should be strong the ravens the browns should be good um we'll see what the colts do there's there's a lot of the titans oh my god there's there's a lot of good teams in the AFC, but Josh Allen does not have to worry about his contract anymore. He gets re-signed. Six years, $258 million. What do you guys think about this deal? Should the Bills have done it? Should they have waited a little bit longer? See it out. See if Josh Allen could you know, start stacking these seasons together. Personally, I thought it was a good decision. <clears throat> Djokovic doesn't medal in the Olympics. He loses in the semifinals to Sevrev, and then in the third place match for bronze, he loses to Pablo Correno Busto. Um, this is the biggest win for Pablo um, in his career. He had only made two semifinals, both at the U.S. Open. Um, pretty good career, but this is definitely the biggest accomplishment in his career, defeating Djokovic for bronze in the Olympics. Just an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Tip my hat to him. After the match, he was lost for words he was crying he threw himself on the ground you obviously like super merited his reaction winning a medal for your country must be one of the most exciting and rewarding and just fulfilling moments in anyone's career and the fact that he bit he beat Djokovic the number one rated player in the world who's having an exceptional year is just probably adds so much more importance to it um but after the match Djokovic withdrew from the other third-place match that he was scheduled to play in the mixed doubles uh, bronze medal match, citing a left shoulder injury. I, I feel really bad for his partner, um, Nina Sojanovic. Um, she had never won a medal. This was a chance for her to get a medal, represent her country, um, finish the Olympics in a good note. And unfortunately, Djokovic sustained his left shoulder injury. So hopefully he's well by the U.S. Open. But there's a lot of critics out there that are giving Djokovic a hard time because they're saying if he would have been in the final match or if he would have beaten um, Pablo for the bronze medal match, would he have still opted out for the mixed doubles bronze medal match? And I see where they're coming from because you could tell that Djokovic not only lost the game, but he lost his composure. Um, 
obviously i'm pretty sure his ego took a hit um Djokovic, who was like on the 22 23 match winning streak coming into the and coming into the semifinals of the men's singles lost to Sevrev, lost in the semifinals of the mixed doubles and then he lost to pablo in the bronze medal match for the men's singles so he had three losses in the span of 24 hours when he was on a 22 or 23 game match winning streak so that that would deflate anyone ego that would that's a sucker punch that would deflate you and the heat was like 90 degrees i'm not giving Djokovic an excuse but for all those people that are giving him you know some slack for pulling out of the bronze medal match in the mixed doubles man it must have been a tough decision it must have been ugly but i feel for the man like you're on top of your game you're trying to get that golden slam be the first male in history to do it and you fall short and not even if maybe he wasn't even worried about the golden golden slam but maybe it's not about that it was just about trying to win a gold medal for his country even if if even if he hadn't won the first three you know majors in the in the calendar year if he had won none of them i'm pretty sure he that gold medal was just that important to him and it defeated him but he did lose his composure in the match, throwing a racket into the stands, hitting his racket on the net pole, on the net post. Just really uncanny for Djokovic, uh, especially this year when he's been, you know, on top of the world, on top of, you know, the ATP tour. He lost uh, 6-4 and then he won a crazy, ridiculous uh, second set, winning a tiebreaker. 8-6, I believe. And then he lost 6-3 in the third set. Um, he should still be the favorite for the U.S. Open. But after losing three matches in 24 hours, I think some of his mystical energy allure that he has could be gone. Um, the announcers um, for NBC always mention it. They always say sometimes Djokovic just wins his matches before the match is even played. Like just his status, his energy, his aura, his he just frightens you. You just know that you're playing against Djokovic. You know how good he is. That when he's on, you basically have no chance of winning. And it's like a mind game. You gotta just play your game and not think too much about Djokovic and how good he is and you know the twenty grand slams and everything that he's done in his career. But that's easier said than done. Like you're playing Djokovic, you're playing <clears throat> probably the greatest player ever. So it's, you, you start doubting yourself before you even play Djokovic. And then obviously Djokovic has earned that status and he's earned um, that, that like bigger than the sport type of status that he imposes on other players. But losing three matches in 24 hours, losing his composure, looking, looking very, very human, very looking like he was rattled. I think that could start to, uh, you know, settle the rest of the field. That could start to, you know, calm players down when they play Djokovic. They could just think about these moments in the Olympics. Just They could just think about how Djokovic, one of the greatest, if not the greatest player ever, has not been able to get a gold medal in the Olympics, whether it be men's singles or mixed doubles. He has not been able to do it. Even in his best year, he's, he has not been able to do it. And he loses his composure and, you know, he he throws tantrums and he loses it. And I think that could just in of itself help the rest of the field, you know, just relax going into the, the rest of Djokovic's career. Just look at him and be like, okay, 
this guy this guy is not you know an alien he's not a superhuman he's he's just like everybody else like i could i could beat this guy like i just saw him in the olympics lose three matches in 24 hours like why can't i beat him today on this given day like i've i've seen him he's very we we all saw him we all saw him have that little breakdown he's very human after all so i'm not taking Djokovic is obviously still better than everybody else but i'm just saying the mind games the the, the mental advantage that he had over the rest of the field i think some of that might be gone just because of you know how he lost these three matches how he lost his composure how he you know he threw a racket on the stands broke another racket withdrew from a third from a metal match uh like serbia definitely i'm pretty sure i haven't i don't know their their metal count but i could do a quick search right now and uh let's see they won three golds, one silver, and five bronze. Nine medals. Uh, so it's not like, you know, Serbia is just racking up medals left and right. And for Djokovic to drop out of that third place match after losing three matches, after losing his composure, after looking very human on that court, after getting outplayed by Sevrev, getting outplayed by Pablo. That's what I'm talking about. That could start to ease the rest of the field and start looking at Djokovic as, you know, human, not an alien, not a superhuman, just as a regular person. And like I said, the announcers are correct when they say that sometimes Djokovic just wins the match even before it's played just because you're startled, you're frightened, you're you're seeing like Djokovic, you're seeing the greatest ever across from you and you don't know how to handle your emotions. You, you This is the biggest match of your career. And for Djokovic, it's just another one. It's just another opponent on on a quest for another title, another Grand Slam. That's it. This is this is this is everyday activity for Djokovic. But for you, this this is the biggest. This is the biggest match of your life. You're telling everyone, "Hey, I'm playing Djokovic. Come tune on to the TV. Here's some tickets." Like that's all I'm talking about. I'm sure Djokovic is still gonna do great in the U.S. Open, but I'm almost certain too that more players are going to feel confident or they're going to feel less scared going forward because of how human he looked in the Olympics. But I think the frustration is is uh, expected. Like I said, he he's clearly wanted to get that gold medal that has eluded him his whole career. And it's just it's sad that he wasn't able to get it. Uh, watching Djokovic or anyone go for a golden grand slam would have been amazing. I would I was trying to watch history too but it wasn't meant to be and we'll see how he does in the u.s open i'll do a video later doing my prediction i'm sure he'll do great i'll be surprised if he doesn't make it to the final four and but let me know what you guys think did djokovic act like a little kid like some people are calling him after losing um in the semifinals losing in the finals in the olympics and are do you agree with me that he's lost some of his allure or you know, frightening power that he has against the rest of the field. Let me know. But with Djokovic losing his composure, losing that third place match, we got to talk about Sevrev. Sevrev wins gold in the Olympics. I was a little bit worried that he was going to have a letdown from that high that he experienced defeating Djokovic, defeating the greatest player. Um, in his opinion, he, he said it after the semifinal match, like, I'm sorry, like, he knew what was at stake for Djokovic, and he was like, I'm sorry. 
uh, you're the greatest ever you know i respect you so much that was such a high for Severiv that i was worried that going into the final he was gonna have a letdown he was like it's just crazy to get yourself up for a final match after having such a ridiculous semi-final match and that that was sort of the case too with Djokovic with that on in the French Open earlier this year when he defeated Nadal and it was one of the best matches ever that third set was probably the best set of all time and you were just worried that Djokovic was going to have a letdown going into the final against Tsitsipas and he did go down 0-2 and made that comeback so I was kind of worried about Severev because in the Olympics, in the best of three set, you don't have a chance to make a comeback. You lose the first two sets, you're done, you lose. But I was impressed by Severev. Um, you know, my worries that he was going to come down, come come out the gates kind of slow, kind of, you know, still thinking about his semifinal match against Djokovic were quickly put to a side. Uh, he defeats um, Kacha, what's his name? Kacha Nova, Karen. Kacha Kachanov, I believe. I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing his name so bad. He beats him 6-3 and 6-1 in 79 minutes. He imposed his will on him. That serve was hot. His returns were amazing. He was covering the court like I've never seen a 6-6 person do. Severev, he's quick, man. He's 6-6. He's tall. He uses all his lankiness. He uses all his height when he serves, when he returns when he uses that forehand, but he covers the court very, very impressively. Uh, I'm re- I really enjoyed Severus tennis this Olympics. He dropped one set in the whole Olympics, just an extraordinary tournament for Severus. He gets gold for Germany. And after defeating Karen, he says, to, there is nothing better than this. You are not only playing for yourself, you are playing for your country, and the Olympics are the biggest sporting event in the world. The feeling I have now and will have, nothing will be better. And that was just amazing to hear. I was happy for Severev after losing the U.S. Open last year, being two, being up two sets um, to none, and then having a chance to close out set number five for the victory and still losing. I was worried that he was going to, you know, take a nosedive in his career. That was going to be too hard of a defeat. And he, he had some bumps along the along the road this year but for him to bounce back defeat Djokovic defeat Karen mm, Kachanov in the final is just really really impressive um and I'm excited to see what the rest of his career is gonna play out Uh, this is this is one of those moments that could really catapult you into that next level defeating Djokovic closing out the deal in the finals emphatically winning gold winning goals for Germany. That's just, it's an amazing accomplishment. He's still only 24 years old. Um, he's got, He's been to some finals. He's won the ATP finals. He's been to the US Open final. It, this could just be the, the turning point that we look back five, six, 10 years from now and we're like, okay, this is it. This is where Sevrev got it together. The, U, the Olympics in Tokyo 2021 or 2020, whatever you want to call it. That's when Severev really turned his career around. That's when, he, you know, he got it all together, not just with his game, his forehand, his backhand, but, like, in his head. Like, it all just came together for him. And that would be really exciting to, to see to see him develop into, you know, one of the upper-tier upper, upper tier players. And, um, yeah, it's just I'm excited to see him for the U.S. Open. 
I'm excited to see him, you know, try to get revenge for last year's defeat. And um, it's just it was one of the funny moments for this match was when Karen uh catching off catching off Kachomov at the end of the game, he like went to the sideline and he hit his racket on the on the bench and just like destroyed his racket. Some of the announcers were like the NBC announcers were like Oh, he doesn't even deserve to have that feeling. Like, why is he so upset? Why is he so frustrated? Like, he wasn't even really close. This match wasn't close. He lost 6-3. He lost 6-1. Severev was, you know, in complete control the whole the whole match. Like, you know, those those frustrations are for someone that that played a close match. And I thought that was really funny because Severev did, did win handily. That, that final was pretty one-sided. Severev was completely frustrating uh karen with all the movement that he was doing getting to every ball uh winning most of the big um rallies it was just a very impressive conclusive victory for severev great way to you know wrap up the olympics great way for severev to you know finish out the year going into the going into the latter part of the year with a lot of momentum we'll see how he does in cincinnati we'll see how he does in the u.s open i'm very excited i'm gonna tune into both and we'll see if he's able to get a Grand Slam victory and, you know, really propel his career after winning the Olympics. I'm very excited for Severev. I don't know about you guys, but I think he's, he now more than any of the other ones of these young next generations, he now has the lead. He now has, you know, he's the one that's probably going to take over the mantle as, you know, one of the next greats now that the big three does look like they're going on their way out. Um, Nadal just lost in the second round of the City Open and he pulled out of toronto just today and we'll see how he does in cincinnati if he even plays cincinnati and we'll see how he does in the u.s open federer is just resting till the u.s open Djokovic, we'll see how he does the rest of his career we'll see if he completes the the calendar grand slam they're getting older and this this might be the turning point where we see sevrev just start to take over start to win grand slams i'm excited to see it i'm excited to see someone someone of these young next generation you know take the reins and really say you know what this next generation got it you don't have to be worried about you know the big three retiring we're still gonna be tennis is still gonna be entertaining still gonna be fun so i'm all for it i'm all for it for this next generation taking taking that step that we've been waiting for for a long long time and we'll see if he if he does it what do you guys think about Severev winning gold medal in the Olympics? There was a lot of amities from that from the field. A lot of people didn't show up. Uh, Nadal wasn't there. Federer wasn't there. Shapovalov wasn't there. There's a lot of players that weren't there, so the field wasn't as competitive as it could have been. But nonetheless, it's a it's an extreme accomplishment for Severev. I'm happy for him. Uh, let me know what you guys think. But that should do it for episode 60 of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast or episode yeah episode 60 thank you so much for listening have a great rest of your day